Good afternoon, church. My name is uh, Brogan. We're coming to the end of this sermon series that we've been in for the last five weeks in the book of Ephesians. And there are some copies of the book of Ephesians um, at the back. If you would like a copy of these, which you can read and, and, uh, and mark in, then stick your hand up. Beth at the back would love to bring one over to you if you haven't got one. Um, so we're in the final sermon of this series called five lies that are ruining your life. And if you're new here, then, then welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. As I said, my name's Brogan. I'm married to uh, Beth and I'm one of the team here at St. Thomas's. You'll have to forgive me. I've got a little bit of a, um, a, little bit of a sore throat this week. My voice has not been very strong. Um, and I've been trying to rest my voice. Um, however, someone told me the other day that they wouldn't know that having spent all week with me. So, uh, yeah, so just forgive me if it, if it gives up at any, any point. Anyway, let's read Ephesians 3, verses 14 through to 21 together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 In this series, we've been contrasting the truth of God's word with some of the lies that we believe about ourselves sometimes. So five weeks ago, we looked at the lie that sometimes we believe that we aren't wanted when the truth is, Ephesians 1, that in Christ we are chosen. And then we looked at how sometimes we believe that we are hopeless, and yet the truth is that in Christ we are empowered. Then we looked at the lie that we can't be forgiven in contrast with the truth that in Christ we are raised to new life. And then last week, Adam looked, with Adam we, we saw how we sometimes conclude that we don't belong in the church. And yet the truth is that through Christ we are brought into the household of God. And this week we're challenging a final lie which ruins our lives and it's this, that l- the love of God is something you have to earn. When the truth is that in Christ we are loved. The lie is you have to earn God's love. The truth is that you are loved. And yet there's a lot of confusion about what this means. We tend to flip-flop between two misunderstandings of God's love. The first misunderstanding is that we think that God's love for us somehow depends on how well behaved we are. Perhaps even now you're thinking, God could never love me given some of the things that I've done. You might look around this room mistakenly and think, look at all these good Christians. I can believe God loves them, but me? 
No, I don't think so. I've gone too far. I've done too many bad things. You believe the lie that you must earn God's love. The second misunderstanding is that we think that God's love means that he'd never ask us to change the way that we live. Those parts of the Bible that are uncomfortable, we can just ignore, we can just dismiss them. In other words, you think you've already done enough to earn God's love just by being true to who you are. In both misunderstandings, we've believed the same lie, that we have to earn God's love. One misunderstanding says, I've already done enough and leads to sin. The other misunderstanding says, I must do more and leads to misery. Which is why we need the freedom of these verses. We're going to see three things in our reading today that counter both of these misunderstandings. We're going to see, firstly, how we receive God's love in Christ. Then secondly, we are called to comprehend God's love in Christ. And then thirdly, that we are changed by God's love in Christ. Following Jesus in so many ways is all about comprehending and being changed by the love we've already received. So let's work through these verses together. Look at it with me if you've got a Bible, verses 14 through to 15, who Paul is praying for. So Paul starts with this phrase, for this reason. He's referencing back to all that has come at the end of chapter 2 that Adam unpacked for us last week and that Paul continues to talk about at the start of chapter 3. In summary, that through Christ, these two ethnic groups of Jew and Gentile have become one new humanity to the praise and glory of God. And so it is for this reason verse 14, that he kneels before God, the Father from whom every family, every ethnic group derives its name. Now, naming in scripture is a sign of ownership. What you name, you claim. So when Paul talks about family on earth receiving their name from God the Father, he's communicating something really important. And it's this, whoever you are, wherever you grow up, Whatever your race or your ethnicity, you are called to make the one true God revealed in the Bible your God. God's purposes of love include you. If you are unsure, if you are ever unsure as to whether God claims you as his own and longs to lavish his love upon you, I'm going to give you a really simple test you can do. You ready? I'm going to answer this question. Am I human? (laughs) Yeah? Am I human? That is the question to know whether God is calling you and summoning you and inviting you by name to know him as Father. And you'll be pleased to know you've all passed the visual ID. You're all looking fairly human to me. Everyone is invited to be a recipient of what Paul is talking about here. So let's look at what he prays for. Verses 16 and 17. I pray that out of the glorious riches of his love, the Father may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What a beautiful prayer. If you're ever unsure of how to pray for someone, start by praying this. 
I've spent some time this week praying this over each person in mine and Beth's small group. It is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. You might pray this for, um, for people who are not yet followers of Jesus. It'd be a great prayer for that purpose. Pray away, go for it. Yet Paul prays this for people who are already Christians. They've already got Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith in the strengthening power of the Holy Spirit. So why does he pray it for them? Well, he prays it because following Jesus is both an event and a process. Think about a ceremony followed by a lifetime uh, commitment. For example, becoming a godparent. When I became um, godfather to my godson, Caleb, I stood with him uh, around a font where he's being baptised and I made some promises and I committed to helping raise him in the faith. It was an event, a one-off thing that happened. But being a godparent is also a, a process. It's not just a one-off commitment. It's an ongoing process of praying for Caleb, of being involved in his life, of helping to teach him about the love of God and teaching him how to respond. The same dynamic of event and process can be seen, seen in, in marriage. And the same is true for being a Christian. It's a one-off specific time when we are first strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit, resulting in Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. It is a vitally important event. In that moment, we receive all the promises of this letter to the Ephesians. In that one beautiful moment, we go from death to life. We receive forgiveness of our sins and our transgressions. We're saved from the punishment of that sin, which is an eternity cut off from the love of God. And instead, we're invited into a new life, even before we die, and an eternal right relationship with God that lasts forever, one moment. Perhaps you're sat here today and you're, you're not a Christian and you want that moment of salvation in your life. If so, receive it today. Don't put it off. Forgiveness, a new life, is a one-time event in becoming a Christian. But being a Christian is also a process. It's following Jesus. It's something that happens each day as this new identity is played out. The strengthening of the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, verses 16 and 17, is a promise that is renewed each morning. Every day we receive afresh the strength for, for Christ to dwell in our hearts as the one who rules and governs our lives. That's what the heart is in, in Greek thought. It's not just the centre of, the, of the, the emotions, it's the centre of the will it's the centre of the decisions that we make. And we need the strengthening power of the Spirit to resist trying to sit on that seat ourselves. And we need it on a daily basis. Going back to Caleb, can you imagine if I made all these promises to be his godfather but had no ongoing relationship with him? If I had the event of becoming his father at baptism, but his godfather at baptism, but never prayed for him more than any other child and never taught him much about Jesus and I never spent any more time with him than I would any other kid. Being a Christian is not just a one-off commitment, although that is vitally important. It's a daily process of being strengthened by God so that Christ may dwell in our hearts 
through faith. And this is the means by which we become, second half of verse 17, rooted and established in love. You might want to underline that or circle that if you've got a a scripture journal. And you want to link it back to rooted and established, link back rooted and established to the words strengthening and dwelling. Because it's the strengthening and dwelling that leads to us being rooted and established in Christ. Which leads on to Paul's second (laughs) prayer for them, verses 17 and 18, that they would comprehend the love that they've been rooted and established in. Let's jump back to our lie for a moment. The lie says you have to earn God's love. That if you don't feel God's love in some ways, then then you should prove yourself some more. We think, oh, if only I was more like that person, then God would love me more. If only I hadn't made that decision. If only I could give more time. If I only I didn't struggle with that ongoing sin. But hear this. If you don't feel God's love, don't look at yourself. Look at his word. Ephesians 1, in love he predestined you for adoption to sonship. Ephesians 2, in uh, his great love for us that God made us alive in Christ even when we're dead in our sins and transgressions. It is through Christ that we are rooted and established in love. Ephesians 3. And so Paul continues, may you have the power with all the Lord's holy people that's the church, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, he's praying that they would grasp, that they would comprehend, that they would perceive, that they would experience Christ's love. The fact that Paul prays for them to grasp this um, is significant. As one theologian puts it, um, Paul seems to assume that they don't appreciate how much Christ loves them. (laughs) Maybe this is something that resonates with you. you. You accept that Christ loves you, but it doesn't really amaze you. You, you trust that, that Christ loves you, but whenever you come to him, you don't feel any kind of love. You don't seem to experience any type of grace. If this is you, and it's all of us at times, then let's see what we should do about it in verse 18. Firstly, Paul prays, may you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. Underline that, the Lord's holy people. He doesn't pray that they would work harder. He prays for a revelation in the context of community. In other words, we're in this together. I will regularly ask the prayer ministry team. I'll be doing this at the end. I'd love you to join me. I'll regularly ask the prayer ministry team or my wife Beth or some of my colleagues at St. Thomas's to pray for me that I would know God's love and God's power afresh in my life. It's not a sign of weak faith. Or if it is, then church, I confess to having weak faith. The Bible is clear that we grasp this in the context of community. And the second part of verse 18 is this. It's whose love we're grasping. This is, this is really interesting. Previously, Paul has talked about how God 
loved us before the foundation of the world. But now he speaks about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What's he doing? He's he's drawing our attention not just to the invisible reality of God's love, but to the visible reality of God's love. One man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's love made visible. So if you struggle to feel his love, lean into the scriptures and read how wide his love is, stretching to forgive the most horrible of sins. Read how long his love is, patiently enduring with his disciples who are so slow to trust him. Read how high his love is, reaching to the heights of the cross on which he died to save and redeem us. Read of how deep his love is is stretching down to the very precipice of hell to draw us to safety. Cast yourself on his mercy, cherish his grace, for we are invited to both grasp with our minds, but also to experience in our hearts this love that surpasses knowledge. Finally then, the result of Paul's prayer. So we're rooted and established in love, verses 14 through to 17. We're invited to comprehend and experience the enormity of this love, verse 18. And so finally, the result of this, verse 19, is that we will be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now the revelation of Christ's love is the most beautiful thing. There is nothing more breathtaking. We are going to pray for a fresh revelation of that in the context of our community today in a moment. But it is not just a thing to be enjoyed. We should enjoy it, but it should also change us. I don't know if you are missing travelling at the moment. Beth and I were looking back through some of our holiday photos to Madeira, way back in the dizzy heights of 2019, when COVID-19 was, um, I'd never heard of it. Um, and uh, and it, was, it was beautiful. Madeira is absolutely beautiful. If you've never been um, to Madeira, it is quite an experience. I would say, um, how to put this politely, uh, Beth and I are not your normal demographic that go to Madeira. We were the youngest in our hotel by at least 50 years, um, but we had a great time, so I don't know what that says about us. Um, so we decided to go out for this uh, walk in this um, forest one day. We drove up this really steep road of, of, of tropical forest, and we started walking along this, this narrow path. It was completely covered by trees. The vegetation was so thick that you couldn't see a thing on either side of you. And so we were there just you know, laughing and, and joking and chatting as we, as we walked along. And then seemingly out of nowhere, we walked into a clearing, and the trees gave way, and you could see for miles. You could see the hill as it fell down into the valley below and the villagers scattered below us and these winding roads that led down to the vast, limitless ocean. And we were stopped in our tracks. We were amazed. We fell silent when we saw the beauty 
of what was behind the trees. And we continued on this walk with a whole different demeanour because we had seen what was there. We knew the reality that we were right next to. And that is what is meant to happen when we experience the love of Christ. When we see the vast beauty of his love, it should affect how we live. The grasping of Christ's love, verse 18, results over time in being filled to the measure of the fullness of God, verse 19. It's cause and effect. The fullness of God is, is Paul's shorthand here, describing how our lives should be characterised by God's presence, that our actions become the kind of actions that Jesus would make, that our words become the kind of words that Jesus would say, that our prayers become the kind of prayers that he would pray. Being filled to the measure of the fullness of God means turning away from sin and submitting to the scriptures. It means treating people in a way that is just and fair. It means honouring God with our time and with our money. Because when we grasp Christ's love, we live differently. So please hear me. When we speak of the love of God, we are not talking about some sort of feeling that God has towards us that is affirming of however we want to live. We're speaking of a love that is more enormous than that. We speak of a love that forgives our wrongdoing and invites us to be irrevocably changed. A sure sign that you've got the Spirit of God at work in you and Christ dwelling in your heart through faith is if you want more of the fullness of God. This is something that we should be praying for, for God to teach our hearts to desire his will for our lives. When God is at work in you, you begin to want your life to be marked by justice and mercy on his terms. You, you want your interactions to be governed by God's grace. You want your life to be filled with his power to turn from sin. And you want people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their saviour. It's not just a one-time experience on a Sunday. Although that is good, we're going to pray for it today. But it's a fire that burns inside you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until we see him face to face. We're invited into nothing less than fullness. If you feel that this is impossible, then see the thread that runs through the entire passage. This is not about our capacity and our ability. This is about the very power of God. It is the Spirit who strengthens us. It is Christ who dwells in us. It is he who has rooted, established us in love. And so finally, verse 20, it is the Father who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ask. Or imagine. This is not about us trying harder. 
It's about us trusting that we have received God's love in Christ, that we're invited to comprehend and experience God's love in Christ and therefore be changed by God's love in Christ. Let's stand together.